Okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to, you know, learn about different cultures around the world and see what's happening. I have a very special guest today. Culture Class Podcast is very pleased to have his very first presidential interview. So today I have President Kevin Ball from the Republic of Molossia. Hi, President. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. So how is it in the Republic of Molossia today? It's always wonderful in the Republic of Molossia. Molossia is a dictatorship and I decree it always to be wonderful here. Oh, fantastic. I wish we had uh, more world leaders like you. Um, Just before we get into the weeds of the interview here, you know, just for our listeners who might not have necessarily heard about Molossia before, I'll say a couple of things I know about Molossia and you can correct me, okay? Okay, sure. Uh, so Molossia is a republic. It's a micronation that has been around since uh, 1977. Uh, currently, it's located just outside Reno, Nevada. And from what I understand, Molossia has its own post office. It has its own bank. It has its own navy, and it has its own space program. Is that correct? Absolutely. We pretty much have everything that a larger country would have, only in a smaller package. Got it. Got it. Okay. Before we do a deep dive into Molossia, what is a micronation? Because some people might be confused that, oh, you know, they, they may be trying to look out for Molossia on the map sure, and things absolutely. like that. What's a micronation? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, before we get to that point, you can actually find Molossia on a map. Uh, so if you go to Google Maps, you type in Republic of Molossia, it'll take you to a little tiny dot. Uh, southeast of, uh, of Reno, Nevada, and there we are. We're on the map. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the cool thing about Google Maps. But right. anyway, um, <laughs> to answer your question, a micronation is a self-declared country, uh, usually tiny to the point of actually not having any real territory at all. Um, most micronations exist online, um, but they're just created uh, as sort of an expression of a of, a, of, a, of an individual's uh, personal creativity, kind of what we did here uh, in Malasia. Uh, Malasia is a little different because we actually do have territory. As I mentioned, you can find us on the map at about 1.3 acres here, uh, just uh, southeast of Reno, Nevada. So if you wanted to come visit our little micronation of Malasia, you most certainly can. It's pretty interesting. The concept of micronations, from what I understand, it started in the UK, in England, right? With, uh, I think that was like in the early 60s or something with the pirate radio. Right, it did. With It actually, that's probably one of the most famous micronations. I think the idea of starting your own country goes back centuries, but it really mm-hmm. depends on, you know, your resources and what you do with it. Uh, but the most famous micronation is a, a micronation called Sealand, which is located off the coast of Britain. Uh, it was founded, I think, in 1969 uh, by Patty Roy Bates, and uh, they've gained uh, quite a bit of notoriety over the years, and they've been invaded and, and so forth like that. It's kind of an interesting story, probably not not for this particular podcast, but <laughs> it's something to bring up at some point. Got <laughs> Prince it. Michael is the prince now. You can give him a call, and he'll tell you all about it. Got it. Got it. What What makes for a micronation? Like you said, you know, the concept of people wanting to start their own countries or own their own countries has been, you know, historically there, you know, since the beginning of time. But in your opinion, like what makes for a country? Is it, you know, once you have like your own set of laws, like that makes for a country, do you have to be recognized by some entity like the UN or something? Or once you have people who come together and like declare themselves like a country, is that a country in your opinion? And actually, yes, both things. 
um, it, there's two different approaches to what makes a country. Or one of them is, uh, as you said, you know, you sort of declare yourself to be a nation, uh, and and uh, another is where other nations recognize you as as a nation. Um, uh, when it comes to micronations, the, the self-declared thing I mentioned is very much what we consider makes a country. Uh, there's a thing called the Montevideo Convention of 1933, and it said that a country needs to have defined borders, a population, a government, and the ability to enter into uh, relations with other nations. And uh, it doesn't say that other nations have to recognize you. And and so yeah. that's kind of what keeps micronations going is because most micronations are not recognized by other countries, especially larger established countries. And uh, and so it's kind of important <laughs> that they believe in themselves, so to speak, even if uh, nobody else does. And so, yeah, two different approaches and micronations usually stick with that one. Got it. Got it. Okay. Take me through the founding of Molotia. From what I understand, you founded it with your friend when you both were teenagers in 1977. What led to that mm-hmm. decision? Um, was there a certain event in your life that made you guys want to like found your own country? Well, we watched the old Peter Sellers movie called The Mouse That Roared. Uh, the movie was made in 1960 and we saw it you know, a rerun on TV in 1977. And, uh, and we were really struck by the imagination and creativity of that of that story. So we decided to start our own country. Um, my friend James was the king and I was the prime minister. And back then, Malasia was named the Grand Republic of Volstein. That's right. We were the Grand Republic, Republic of, of Volstein. Oh, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And uh, he, he eventually moved on to other projects, I think actually rather rapidly. But I stayed with the idea. Um, Malasia was, I guess you could call it nomadic for a couple of decades uh, before we finally settled on some property here in northern Nevada. And uh, I renamed it from Boldstein to Malasia and put up a flagpole, and we've been going strong in this spot ever since. Oh, nice, nice. How many citizens does the Republic currently have? Right now we have 35 citizens with another one on the way. So we'll have, we'll have 36 citizens, I think, here towards the end of the year, beginning of next year, something like that. Uh, that's another grandchild. Uh, Malasia oh, nice. is a family nation, uh, so that means in order to be a citizen, you have to be a member of our family. Um, oh, but we also include our dogs. So our dogs are also citizens. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, so 35 mm-hmm. citizens, that's, you know, everyone in your family and, you know, the dogs also. Well, that's pretty nice. Yeah. So what, what if what if I want to become, don't you, don't, doesn't the Republic have any process to admit non-family members? If I want to like contribute like scientifically or, you know, I just want to leave my, renounce my current citizenship and become a, a citizen of Malaysia. Is that permitted in any way? Actually, no, it's not. And we get that question almost every single day from somewhere. I can and, imagine. Uh, no, in order, to, uh, yeah, in, order, yeah, in order to be a citizen, you have to be a member of the family. Now, of course, you know, theoretically, it's possible if you were to, I don't know, marry into the family, marry one, one of our, uh, you know, sons, daughters, grandchildren, something mm-hmm. like that. Whenever they get old enough, they're really young now. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you could become a citizen that way, but um, that's not really the most common way because obviously they have their own lives and how they want to, whoever they want to marry is up to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. So if I were to, you know, approach Molosha, I guess, uh, what, what happens? Like, w- will I be inspected by custom? How, how does it work if I want to like come visit your beautiful country? Well, and we do have visitors visit Malasia all the time. Uh, our tourist season runs from April through October, and we have one tour a year. Um, it's a small country, so um, you know the tour only lasts about an hour and a half. And we do have a customs station, so when folks do come to visit us, uh, they stop at the customs station, uh, get their passport stamped, and so wow. forth. And then 
Then really? they uh, take photos, and, and I, yep, yeah, absolutely. And then I escort all of our visitors around the country on a little tour. So, yeah, it's kind of a un- unique thing to have the president of a country uh, taking visitors on tours. <laughs> I'm not just the president of a country, doing. but the, a dictator of, of yes, a absolutely take, taking visitors absolutely. on tour. <laughs> well, that, that must be pretty interesting. Like, how much did you have to? I can only imagine, you know, what you had to go through, the the sheer knowledge you had to consume just to know how a country ran, even if it's a micro nation. How much foreign policy, law, and all that stuff did you need to learn to be able to function as president? Oh, of a so much, absolutely, so much. I mean. I gained an awful lot uh, during Malasi as aforementioned nomadic period. Uh, I spent several years in Europe, and so I was able to, uh, for lack of a better word, study um, many European countries and how they do things and what their governments are like, are like and so forth like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's always and it's always a learning process. It's not just something that you know you learn and you're done, um, because countries are continually evolving. And um, and so yeah, it's it's important to know about government, uh, about history, about uh, diplomacy, uh, things of that sort. You know how treaties work and international relations. And uh, I think those are all very very essential uh, when one is uh, when one has a micronation, not just Malaysia, but any micronation. It's important to know how to do all those things, or at least have a passing knowledge of those things. Uh, so you're not out there, you know, looking silly while you're trying to interact with other countries. How, what what has your relationship been with interacting with other countries? How's uh, your foreign policy? Because you are technically located within the United States borders. Have you ever had the chance to like, have you ever been approached by Homeland Security or like the FBI to try to find out what exactly is going on or, you know, that kind of thing? No, actually, they've never approached us. And, and we have uh, approached them. We, you know, we reach out to the, uh, you know, well, when, when the presidents change up over the border there in the in the U.S., we always send send a congratulations note and try to try to communicate, have a positive, uh, you know, interactive relationship with uh, with the United States because, as you mentioned, they are all around us. Uh, and we've also reached out to the governments of other countries, but um, we tend to get ignored. I think we're just not something that's very important, especially to the United States because we don't cause them any problem. And uh, and so we we just sort of do our thing. I'm sure they're aware of us. Uh, they have a, a very very large. Uh, security and, and, and intelligence, uh, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure over there in the U.S. So I'm sure they're aware that we exist. But uh, so far, no trouble from them. And of course, we haven't given them any trouble either. Got it. Got it. Okay. Pretty interesting. What about taxes? Like, uh, do does the U.S. require that you pay taxes as a country? Do you collect taxes from your own citizens, your family members? We don't have any taxes within Malaysia. Um, I guess it's. It's not that kind of country. Our country is primarily supported by the tourist industry that we have. Um, and so we don't really require our citizens to uh, to pony up to keep the government going. Um, but uh, as far as taxes in the U.S., uh, because we are so small, we consider that paying taxes is sort of an element of survival <laughs> within that gigantic country. But we call them foreign aid. So we pay the United States. Oh, foreign give, aid. Give the United nice. States foreign aid, yes, every year. And, of course, you know, you've seen their roads. They need all the help they can get those poor folks. I love it. I love it. I love it. And of course, the United States like has its own issues. And like you said, <laughs> you know, you help them with foreign aid like every year. I mean, recently we just had, you know, kind of like uh, another uprising. And this happens, you know, every other year. But I don't think we've witnessed it the way we witnessed it this year with like Black Lives Matter and things like that. Do you... Uh, I know, obviously, you don't, being a, a sovereign nation, you don't like interfere with other sovereign nations, but... 
What's your take on what's, right. what, what's going on in the U.S. kind of like recently? Well, as, as you said, we, we don't really get involved in, in what goes on uh, in, in other countries. I mean, in, in as much as the U.S. is all around us and there's a certain amount of you know, awareness that we have, of course, we're, we, know what, we know what's going on and uh, we're always attentive to our own, our own security as a nation and so forth like that. But, but uh, here in Malafia, even though we are a dictatorship, we're very dedicated to, to equality, to understanding, to freedom. Um, everyone has a, a has a right to speak and and uh, and be heard. Uh, we don't really actually pay much attention, but um, they have a right to speak. So, uh, <laughs> so and uh, and we would hope that for pretty much every nation, um, we think that everybody has a right to uh, freedom and self self expression, and uh, we would certainly hope for um, definitely peace peace and understanding over Got the border it. there in the U.S. Uh, understanding is is very very important. Communication. Is huge. People just need to talk back and forth. They may not mm-hmm. agree. Nobody has to agree, but they do need to communicate and try to understand different points of view and different, uh, um, I guess, perspectives, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I understand and I, I totally agree. But you know, uh, communication always sounds easier than it actually looks because sometimes some people might not be receptive of you know it's difficult to communicate. Maybe when one side doesn't want to hear at all, or even when the other side doesn't know the right way to communicate. So there's always that disconnect between you know different parties. But you know, hopefully things can get better. You know, in the future. Um, let's talk about some of your programs now. From what I understand, Molossia has its own bank. Does that mean Morosa yes, has do. its own currency? We do, yes. Our currency is called the Valora, and it's not based on something, uh, so, yeah, it means valuable in our second language, Esperanto. And uh, it's not based on something, you know, that doesn't have any value like gold or silver. It's based on something very valuable, chocolate chip cookie dough. So that's oh, right. nice. we're on the cookie dough standard here in Morosa. <laughs> oh, a cookie dough standard. <laughs> oh. Yes, oh, that's what... <laughs> What did you say your second language was, Mr. President? It's Esperanto. Esperanto is our second Esperanto. language. Esperanto. Okay. Well, yeah, how uh, how did you how did you come up with that language? Oh no, I didn't come up with it myself. It was actually invented about oh 120 years ago or so. Okay. Um, it was invented to be a bridge language. So, for example, if I speak English and you speak French, and and you feel if you learn English, you're going to be losing some of your you know French culture or something like that, and uh, vice versa. Uh, Esperanto it is a a international language that that you would learn and I would learn to be able to communicate without giving up our own languages. Um, oh, it's nice. sort of like I said, a bridge language. It's very easy to learn. You can usually pick it up in a couple of weeks at the most. Uh, at least you know the basic conversation, maybe nothing fancy, but enough to get around. And uh, it's actually spoken by thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Oh, um, really? But again, as, yeah, as a primarily as a second language, and uh, and so okay. so we use it. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some examples of some phrases in Esperanto? Maybe uh, you know, common phrases that might be used if you want to get around. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, yes, mi parola es Esperanto. Mi nombre es Kevin. La Presidenta de la República de Malasia. And oh. so forth like that. <laughs> I think I kind of understand that. You said, okay, I can speak some Esperanto. My name is Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. currently located in Malaysia, right? Yeah, I'm no? the president. Oh, yeah, the president. La, la president oh, close enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> close Absolutely. enough. Pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty yeah, interesting I, song. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the language is actually the language is actually mostly drawn from uh, European root word. So, um, if you have like a, a basic, you know, English, I think I think some uh, French, Spanish, German, 
uh, Italian and so forth like that. So, um, uh, so it, it has a, that kind of basis. If you have a, if you're conversant in one of those languages, you're going to probably pick up some Esperanto fairly easily. Uh, again, it, and it's also very regular. No weird verbs or anything like that. It's uh, it's, it's very very easy to learn. Uh, when it comes to that kind of thing. So once you pick up some basic vocabulary, um, it's easy to learn the language. And it's a lot of fun. Got it. It sounds it sounds like a lot of fun, I must admit. Um, other stuff that uh, Republic of Malaysia has, you have your own Navy and your own space program. Like, yes, indeed, how, absolutely. How did, you, how did you come up with that? Your own Navy, because that's particularly interesting because you're just outside Reno, Nevada, and that's the desert, if I'm correct. <laughs> That's, you're very correct. Yes, we're okay. a desert nation. There's actually no uh, no bodies of water in our nation, but uh, uh, we don't have an army and we don't have an air force, but we do have a navy because we thought it might be kind of fun to have a navy in the middle of the desert. And our nice. navy basically cons- consists of about five inflatable kayaks, and we'll take those kayaks to. Uh, there's a couple of local lakes over the border in the U.S. in in uh, um, in the United States. There, there's one called Lake Tahoe, which is about mm. maybe 45 minutes away. And mm-hmm. so we'll take our Navy up to uh, Lake Tahoe once or twice a year and explore up there. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. We also have a couple of underwater cameras, and so we'll use those uh, while, we're, while we're deployed on Lake Tahoe uh, to explore what's under the surface of the water. So our Navy is primarily scientific, although it is also the, uh, I guess, the defensive arm of our government if we ever are attacked. Oh, the defensive arm, does that qualify? Do your expeditions qualify as operating uh, or conducting military exercises in a foreign jurisdiction, kind of? Or not really? Yeah, pretty much, yes, absolutely. But that that kind of happens with militaries anyway. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the U.S. Army will go over to conduct exercises in Poland or something like that. Um, you know, so that's not that uncommon. Or, or the U.S. Navy will put into a foreign port and and you know, hang around there a little bit. So it's not it's not totally unheard of to for us to do that. And of course, you know, from the perspective of the Americans around us, while we're on Lake Tahoe, we're just you know some folks paddling around in kayaks. So it doesn't doesn't look too scary to them. Covert <laughs> operations, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Got it. Got it. Pretty, pretty interesting. What about your space program? Now, how did that come into like for for a nation with thirty five citizens? How how did you implement your space program? Uh, well, we have a variety of small rockets, basically what would be considered uh, model rockets, and uh, we actually take them outside Malasi and launch them to a dry lake bed uh, about maybe 10 miles away from here. And uh, and we do a variety of things. For example, uh, we were the first micronation to launch a living creature up in a rocket, even though it was Mexican jumping beans, but still they were alive. Mexican jumping beans. Well, that, I mean, it's a plant, <laughs> yeah. so I guess it's alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, there's, a, there's a little bug inside each bean. And so the little bug went up there, and they survived. They didn't complain. So uh, I guess I guess they did okay. And then we do we do a, a number of different things with rockets. One of our uh, most recent was we combined both the Navy and our space program, and mm-hmm. we took the Navy to a nearby lake, and then paddled out to an island in the middle of the lake, and launched a rocket there. And wow. so it was kind of a kind of a combination, and that that was a lot of fun. That was always looking to do interesting and unique things here in uh, Malasia. So that's that was one just to just something different that we could do. We want to repeat that. It was kind of underwhelming. Our, our rocket launch was very, very short. <laughs> so I mean, we want to still, it and do, and do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so the, the first, the, the, the last one you did was your very first one. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that was the first time we ever did that. We went out to an island in the middle of the lake. Yes. Yeah, we've never done that. We, we, we launched rockets and then we 
take the Navy out, but those are usually two separate things. Oh, got uh, it. This was a joint. Yeah, yeah, I'm, just, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just coming to a certain realization, you know, kind of like talking to you. You know, there are a lot of things we take for granted. And, you know, I, I kind of like came to this realization the first time, but you're kind of like my interaction with you is kind of like buttressing that, that. The things we take for granted that are man-made, the systems we have in the world, because we're just born into the world and it's like, oh, you know, you have to go to school, you, you have to, I don't know, this is currency, this is how we exchange value, this is how we, we, we behave when we're in social situations, when there's a red light, you stop, you go. But these things were all created by man, pretty much, you know, and just, right. you know, speaking to you and you creating your own country yourself, even though it's just a country of other right, people, just bring me back to your realization of the ingenuity and, you know, the brilliance of, you know, the human mind or what we can achieve if we only put our minds to it, that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and the way we do it uh, here uh, in Malasia, it's, it, we really try to develop this concept of what makes a country and to do things beyond just the basic idea of a country as a, I don't know, you know, a flag and a government and and all that we want to we want to take it that next step further or maybe 10 or 12 steps further and and see where we can go with it how far we can go with the idea of having a country and so it's very important to try to develop every aspect of it like you said you know our our economic system our money and so forth like that um our we have a postal system so we have our own stamps uh we have our own internal phone system uh here in Malasia so we have phones all over the country if you I mean, besides cell phones which I mean, everybody has those. Are, those are boring. But we have an actual landline phone system here in Malasia that you could use to call throughout the entire country. And we want things wow. to work here in Malasia. It's not just an yeah, idea. Yeah, it sounds really a, deliberate. Yeah. Yeah we, yeah, we want everything to function. Uh, last year, I installed a solar power system uh, in this area in Malasia that we have. It's called Red Square, where most of our buildings are. And uh, that solar power system powers lights in every single one of the buildings. It's fantastic, and it's not wired into the, you know, local electrical grid like over the border in the U.S. It's completely independent. As long as there's sun, wow. um, then then we can we can generate electricity here in our country. Uh, it's just not an amazing thing. Solar panels are everywhere, but mm-hmm. we want again we want our country to to work function and so, so yeah to work yes, and so that that's what we've really worked hard to do, uh, to make it so things work here in Malaysia, again in a small package, but. It works. Got it. Got it. I mean, I respect it. I respect it. I mean, I'm Nigerian myself, and I've kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, growing up, you know, heard about there, there was a situation uh, where we had a civil war in Nigeria in the 70s where uh, the southeastern part of Nigeria were trying to secede from the country and trying to form something mm-hmm. called the Republic of Biafra. Now, you know, that resulted Biafra. in war, mm-hmm. so that's a, a little bit extreme. But, you know, on the lighter note, there was a popular Nigerian musician and political activist called Fela Kuti, who was the originator of Afrobeats. And he had his own country-like area in southwestern Nigeria called Kalakuta Republic. So in that place, you know, the police didn't like interfere with anyone in Kalakuta Republic. They had like their own like security. They did things and he was kind of like the head on up until like the military government like disbanded the whole thing. So it just, you know, Again, you know, the ingenuity of the human mind and maybe sometime in my lifetime we can maybe make Wakanda happen if Disney will give us the, <laughs> the rights to that name. <laughs> I don't know about that. Disney Disney really hangs on to their stuff tight. So good luck with that name. But there's I mean, we actually really encourage people to start their own uh micronation and to see what they can do with it. it it's always interesting. Um mm-hmm. because we have a 
a sort of a traditional idea of a, of a country, like I said, you know, borders, government, everything like that. But other micronationalists may not have that uh, traditional idea of what makes a country. And that's the, uh, they might have different ideas. And that's the fascinating thing uh, about micronations, that what, what your idea might be of a country or what you consider to be important in your country versus what I consider to be important in Malaysia. And, uh, and so it's, it's really, really neat to see uh, other micronations develop. And we, we do our best to, when folks reach out to us, uh, you know, hey, you know, what ideas or what should I do or how should I develop my, my, my brand new micronation that I want to start? And we're always there to help them out and advise them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And, you know, speaking about Wakanda, there's actually a city, is it a city or a town called Wakanda? somewhere in Illinois. I think it's like two hours away from Chicago. I've actually been there before. It's spelled W-A-C-O-U-N-D-A. So maybe that'll be a, a good place to just, you know, plant the, the Wakanda flag in the time being. Absolutely. But yeah, like you, like you said, uh, I would imagine a lot of people like kind of like reach out to you because you are kind of like you've taken it the furthest, like from what, from the research I've done, like you have your own post office, you have your own Navy, you have your own space program. You try to make everything like independent and everything work in the country. Yes. What do you usually... What are the first steps if someone like reaches out to you that, hey, I'd love to start my own micro-relation, I want to start Wakanda, for instance, what would you, what, what would be the first step? What would you advise me? Um, probably the first step is to decide what kind of country it's going to be. I mean, is it going to be a monarchy? Is it going to be a, um, a republic, a commonwealth? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different governments type. Um, and, and then kind of build from there. Of course, you're going to want national symbols like a flag, a, you know, a coat of arms, maybe, you know, pick a national animal or something along that line. And uh, and then once you have your, your government and so forth, you might want to think about building an economy. Uh, Malaysia's mm-hmm. economy is small, but you know we sell some stuff online and and tourist stuff and so forth like that. So you might want to think about that or uh, where just where where can you take this idea of uh, of a nation? Um, what we've found over the many many years that we've been doing this is that a lot of micronations sort of kind of fade away right then because mm-hmm. they don't really know how to keep themselves active and busy. So that, so once they get their government and their flag and all their symbols and everything, um, they don't know where to go from there. And so we always advise emulate what established nations do. Maybe not mm-hmm. something as big as the United States. They're kind of busy, but maybe a smaller country. Just take please a look at their website. Please don't what emulate do. the United States, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just the general activities. I mean, you know, nations are made up of people doing things. I mean, yeah, and so yeah. your nation doesn't have to be like, you know, doing something amazing all the time. It just be living. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, to take a look at, uh, at what other countries do and, and emulate them. I mean, you know, countries exist as collections of, of human beings, pretty much all under one common flag. And what are they doing in that country? And then you take your micronation and draw ideas from there and, and keep it going, keep it active and, and uh, have fun with it. Got it. Got it. I mean, pretty interesting. I like your model of, you know, just uh, permitting family members to be citizens. That makes it, you know, I guess, sustainable over the long run uh, kind of thing. But you've had this idea for, you know, since 77, so you know, well over 40 years now. I would imagine that this was before you met your wife. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I met the, met the first lady in 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she knew. So you met her as, as a president, president of a country. Yes, I did. Absolutely. Okay. And she knew that. She she googled me. So oh, she got me nice. Oh, you didn't tell her. She 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 found out. Yep. She knew in advance that that uh, that I was the president of my own country, and and she thought that was pretty cool. And and she asked if she could wear a tiara, and I said, well, not really a like a 
president first lady thing. It's kind of like royalty, and but you can do it if you want to because I'm the president, so I say so. <laughs> nice, <laughs> so, nice, nice. And how's your family yeah. been through all this? Like, uh, you have 35 citizens, uh, family members, and pets. Like, uh, do you assign responsibilities? Are members of your family, uh, you know, responsible for like the navy or you know the post office, or the banking system? That kind of how how um, um, no. involved are your family members? They're really not that involved. When there's larger group activities, like, for example, I think in January or February, we had a broomball tournament. Broomball is our national sport. Um, broomball? broomball How, how's tournament. that played? Yeah, broomball. <laughs> with a broom and a ball? And a ball. Brooms and a ball, yes. Oh, nice. And there's no rules. <laughs> I love there's, it. There's no rules in broomball, so it's complete chaos. So if you want to have sword fights with the broomsticks or you want to <laughs> not have teams or have extra teams or goals or no goals or add in some extra balls, whatever you want to do, it's, it's complete madness, and it's a lot of fun. The games don't oh, really man. actually last that long. It's kind of exhausting to play a game where you don't really know how it's supposed to end. So, yeah. uh, you know, we just sort of whack the broom around for a while and laugh and, and, uh, and get crazy. And anyway, so that's definitely a larger extended family kind of thing. Because pretty much when we play broomball, everybody's involved. And so we, we probably had about, I don't know, probably half the nation was playing that, that, that particular day. I think it was February, something like that, maybe March. Anyway, uh, but generally, most of our citizens are not really involved in day-to-day running of the nation. That primarily falls to myself and the First Lady, and to a certain extent, we have a, a, our chief constable, our, our youngest daughter, uh, is, our, is our law enforcement official here in Malasia, and so she is somewhat involved in the, uh, in, in the uh, I guess, the, the running of the country, too. But um, for the most part, the rest of the citizens, they just live their lives like citizens do in pretty much every other country and not, not really worrying about how their country works. <laughs> got it, got it. I mean, it's pretty pretty, pretty interesting, if I must say so myself. Molossia must be a very magical place to grow up. Like, uh, all these things I'm hearing, I imagine, like, your grandkids or even your kids while uh, they were, or you, you know, you bought the land in the 90s, but maybe your grandkids while growing up in Russia or something. It must be, like, oh, yeah. a pretty exciting, magical place. Well, our grandkids are actually kind of young, so I don't think they've really caught on to this whole thing, but, mm. but uh, our grandson... Our, our oldest grandson, he's uh, almost five, four and a half now. And, uh, oh, yeah, he's he's been a part of Malasia since since the very beginning, including wearing my hat. So, uh, oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> so eventually <laughs> it'll start to dawn on him that there's something weird and cool going on here. But right now he's just worried about Legos. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, he's learned to build a country from, from scratch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out of plastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and from what so, I understand. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, from what I understand, Molossia also has its own time zone? We do. We have our own time zone. Uh, it's Molossian Standard Time, and it's 39 minutes ahead of Pacific Time or 21 minutes behind Mountain Time, I guess, depending on which way you're facing. And we did that just to be uh, uh, to be a little bit different, um, to be unusual. And actually, right after we adopted our own time zone, the late President Chavez of Venezuela decided he was going to have his own time zone. And uh, we're mm. pretty sure that he got the idea from us. From you. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, even oh, the concept course, of time, you know, everything, you're know, boiling back to our conversation, the concept of time and everything is all like the ingenuity of the human brain. Have you ever had uh, incidences of, you know, having interactions with um, non-micronations as uh, like heads of government, like heads of states or ministers or first ladies from other countries that are non-micronations? Um, not particularly, although we did get a Christmas card from President Obama uh, one time. Oh, really? So that, yeah, yeah, yeah that was kind of cool. Uh, that was probably about, well, four, five, six, about, about six years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, we got one. Because we, we always send Christmas cards out to uh, um, uh, the uh, the governor of Nevada, 
and then the president of the United States to give him a Christmas card, as well as the other uh, micronational leaders that were, you know, that we're friends with and so forth. So uh, you know, a big Christmas card thing at every year. So if you go on Malasia's Facebook, uh, I, I announce this is our annual Christmas card thing, and you give us your address, and we'll send you a Christmas card. And uh, but part of that is to send a card out to the governor and the president. And so we did that, and one in one year we got one back from President Obama, and that was very nice. We still have that, of course. Wow, wow, that's that's pretty interesting. I love the the way these stories are coming along. Like this is this is a pretty interesting you know country to live in. But apparently, like all hasn't been. It hasn't been all easy or rosy for the Republic of Malaysia because uh, from my research, uh, you guys actually declared war on East Germany at some point? Oh, yeah. Oh, Wasn't yeah. Wasn't that absolutely. scary? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, not really because it's not exactly a shooting war considering that East Germany really isn't that around that much anymore. But uh, no, back in, 19, back in 1983, I was stationed with uh, the United States Army in what was then West Germany. And uh, as armies tended to do, they wake up in the middle of the night to go get you ready to go fight a war. And that happened one too many times. I was prime minister of the country then, and back when it was called Goldstein. And so I declared war on the nearest East Bloc country, which was East Germany. And then I forgot all about it. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I discovered uh, in the uh, in the Ministry of the Closet where all the files are kept, I discovered the this uh, war declaration. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I discovered this war decorate, de- declaration, and I thought that was, you know, that was kind of funny. Uh, East Germany is long gone. Until I discovered that East Germany is not long gone. Now, the East Germany we all know has been unified with West Germany since, I think, 1991. But mm-hmm. back in 1973, Fidel Castro of Cuba gave an island off the coast of Cuba to East Germany uh, as a Mm. gift. So basically it became East German territory, and uh, that was not addressed during the unification. So that island off the coast of Cuba is still, well, is now the only remaining part of the nation of East Germany. And so our war declaration is basically uh, an ongoing uh, war with an uninhabited island off the coast of Cuba. And it will probably last forever because there's no one that lives there except for Mm. marine iguanas, and they don't care. So, uh, yeah, we have this never-ending war with East Germany going on forever. And we sell war bonds, too. Uh, anyway, really? War bonds. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> man, I have to come to Malosia pretty soon, man. Like, uh, how do I – I guess the closest airport is Reno, right? Right, absolutely. So if you were to fly in and come visit us, uh, we're about um, 35 miles southeast of Reno. Um, and then we do, like I said, have tours uh, once a month, April through October. Uh, we didn't have an April tour this year because of COVID. So, uh, but otherwise, our, our tours have not been curtailed. They've just been smaller. We haven't had a lot of tourists this year. Um, again, probably because people aren't traveling and so forth like that. And yeah. then, uh, and then, yeah, we'll 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 take our visitors on a tour. Uh, it's always a Saturday morning. Take our visitors on a tour of the country and show you all the sites. See the bank and the post office and our phone system and my office. And we have our own bar and grill called the Tiki Hut. So uh, that's there too. And we have monuments and. And uh, I'll tell you all the tales and stories of Malafia and, and uh, more if you ask, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, so, I'm serious yeah. about coming down. I really need to come out and probably do like an in-person interview with you with like a camera crew or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're very, very welcome. We actually do uh, interviews all the time. We have uh, some YouTubers are coming by on uh um, the YouTube channel guys or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I'll speak the lingo. Anyway, they're mm-hmm. coming by next Saturday. That's, that's our July tour. And they're going to come rolling up in a big old bus and they're going to do an interview of me and a tour of Malasia and so forth for their YouTube channel. So yeah, Got absolutely. It. I mean, speaking about COVID, how did, how did you and the Republic of Malaysia like address the issues of COVID? 
when it first. Well, we uh, didn't have. Uh, we technically can't. We technically closed the borders. Um, mm. We didn't really have any. Uh, any tours planned except for um, uh, for April, and we really don't welcome visitors to Malasia because um, it's a very small country. So we can, really can't have folks just like wandering around aimlessly in the middle of the night, you know, seeing the sights. It doesn't work out. So uh, except for the tours, the, the April tour, which got canceled, um, we really didn't have a lot of impact here. No one in Malasia has uh, come down with uh, with COVID, and uh, of course we take all the usual you know precautions of social distancing, hand washing, and wearing masks and so forth like that. Um, and so far, we've been pretty lucky. Um, we hope to stay that way. <laughs> got it, got it. And you know, you know the way I discovered Malosia, I was actually like listening to a podcast, and you know, uh, the host was talking about MicroCon, which is like a conference for, I guess, micro nations. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's in the, just in North America or all over the world, but um, and Malosia has hosted MicroCon uh, before. Were you instrumental in you know uh, starting that conference? Being uh, um, yes. a recognition that has been in existence for a long time. Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry about the barking dog there. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, we actually invented Microcon in 2015, um, and we hosted the first uh, first um, I guess edition of that, if you will. Um, it's actually a meetup of micronationalists. Um, it was started out as mostly North American micronationalists, but uh, over the past couple of microcons, we've had more and more folks from uh, outside of North America, and that's absolutely fantastic. Um, because of course no one's excluded, but it's like whatever you can afford to do to come here. Anyway, that was in Anaheim. And then we had a second one in Atlanta in 2017. So we do it every two years. And then we had one in, uh, uh, Toronto, uh, well, outside of Toronto, uh, in, uh, Ontario, Canada. And that was, uh, well, one year ago now, uh, July of 2019. And, uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, to meet up with uh, with other micronationalists, uh, leaders and citizens of other micronations. Um, it's just absolutely wonderful, like I said before, to just exchange ideas and, you know, what their idea of a country is and, and what they do in their nation and, and so forth. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, initially, we started out with, I think, maybe 40 people might have attended in 2015. We had well over 100 in, uh, uh, in 2019. And the next wow, all, all from different place, countries uh, or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all from different countries. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, most micronations bring about two people, so um, mm. yeah, or maybe a little bit more. So, um, uh, so yeah, probably maybe fifty micronations were represented in one form or another. And uh, the next micro microcon will take place in July, I think July, maybe June. I don't know, summer sometime of uh, twenty twenty one. So next next year, yeah, next year, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and that's gonna be in, that's gonna be in Las Vegas. Yeah, I'll talk. talk to, oh, in Vegas in 2021. Okay, I'll definitely come talk to you about Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, what are some of the regions of the world that you uh, happen to that micronations exist? Because I, I'll imagine that you're close to some of the leaders of these micronations, besides like the obvious, like UK or North America. Are there other regions of the world that you know uh, have micronations? I think there are micronations pretty much. Um, on every continent except maybe Antarctica. Um, um, I have micronation in Africa? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've interacted with a couple over the years, um, not as many as, for example, Europe and and, uh, and North America, but there are there are definitely a few. I can't remember off the top of my head uh, who they are, but uh, um, but I know I've talked to a couple over the, over the years, and then of course South America too, and and definitely Australia and uh, and some in Asia. So yeah, there's micronations and micronationalists all over the world. And uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. It really is. Got it. Got it. Well, President Kevin Ball, I really appreciate you taking out time to speak to me 
uh, about your beautiful country, Malaysia. I mean, I've seen pictures online. It is actually amazing. And I look forward to coming and meeting you in person and, you know, getting advice. Let's see how we can get Wakanda going. Um, if, okay. is it, I'm not sure if there's anything I didn't ask you. Uh, I like to kind of like give my guests, you know, uh, a couple of minutes to kind of like put out their thoughts out there in the world or, you know, um, kind of like answer a question that I probably uh, failed to ask them or something. So, um, yeah. I don't think so. I think you pretty much hit it all. Uh, you covered covered most of it. Of course, there's a lot of uh, little, you know, backstories and everything because having a country, especially one like ours, is, can, can be a complicated, in-depth thing. So we probably didn't touch on every single thing. But, you know, just to say, we're, we're very proud of our little nation. Um, we, we like to laugh here in Malasia. We like to have fun. Uh, but we also take our country fairly seriously because we've been doing it, I guess, if, for lack of a better phrase, for such a very, very long time. Yeah. And uh, we're really, really proud of what we built up here, even as small as we are, um, you know, have, having a good time here uh, in the Great Republic of Malaysia. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, I guess we can end this uh, interview by playing the Malaysian National Anthem. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Culture Class Podcast. Remember to follow us uh, on social media, Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Um, also follow the Republic of Malaysia on, on, on Instagram and Twitter. We'll tag them in our social media posts. And until next week, enjoy the Malaysian National Anthem.